Hello, and welcome to the JewishBoston.com podcast. This is episode 12. We're excited to be back. I'm Jen, and... I'm Jesse. Yay! So we are here this week talking with William Daroff, um, our friend from the Jewish Federations of North America. We'll tell you a little bit more about him, where he came from, what he's doing. Um, but he's a pretty cool dude with a great story about how to talk about Israel in like the main world, like the social media world that we live in. It was a very fascinating conversation, and if you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, or leave us a comment on SoundCloud, or on Facebook, or on Twitter. To the theme song. We are here with William Daroff, the Senior Vice President for Public Policy and Director of the Washington Office. Welcome, William. We're excited to have you here. Hey, it's great to be here. <laughs> Senior great. Vice President of Public Policy at the Jewish Federations of North America. Oh. That's right. He He's not just the Senior Vice President of everything. So. I think Public Policy for the World. That's right. a hefty title. That's fair. No, but it's a lot of words. So, what, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what your job is? Like, you can give us the highlights or you can give us the day-to-day boring stuff. Well, the, hi- the highlight is being at <laughs> JewishBoston.com's uh, soon-to-be award-winning podcast. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> so the Jewish Federations of North America is the umbrella organization of North America's 151 Jewish federations, including CJP, Combined Jewish Philanthropy. We're not yes. supposed to use acronyms on the Correct. podcast. Is that right? You, right. You, hopefully they know oh my CJP God. by now. He's actually, he's actually listened. He actually listened. <laughs> this is oh, very I, impressive. I'm, I'm a subscriber, in fact. <laughs> Amazing. And so as the umbrella organization of all the federations, the Washington office runs the public policy and government affairs for federations. So rather than there being 151 offices of federations in D.C. advocating, there's one, which is my office. And we have a team that uh, are lobbyists. I'm a lobbyist. We uh, advocate uh, with Congress and with the White House on issues of concern to the Jewish community. Very cool. How did you find yourself in this position? Like, where did this all start from? I've been involved in politics and government since I was seven. That's a very young age. You couldn't even vote. I could not even vote. (laughs) Not legally, at least. (laughs) Uh, I uh, just got involved and interested in politics and, and current affairs and started uh, when I was seven. I went door to door for a candidate running for village council and just got the political bug and have been involved ever since. And then later in life, got uh, in my 20s, got engaged in Jewish life. And this was the merging of the two. Very cool. A nice little merger of your passions. Yes. I, for one, am the complete opposite in terms of politics. They terrify me. So your your job and your position is very overwhelming uh, for somebody like myself. They shouldn't terrify you. <laughs> you should get involved, get engaged. I read a lot. I don't engage necessarily in a lot of conversation on it, but I definitely read a lot. Well, we can talk about it now and push through your fears. Oh, dear. You oh, dear. <laughs> What do you want to talk about now? 2016 is the year of me not getting into Facebook political fights. I'm pretty proud of myself for staying away this time. You still have some time left, though. In the year. That's true, but it's not even worth it. Like Keep your... Like, the joy I once got from, like, arguing with uh, the other side in 2012 isn't as enjoyable this time around. So, <laughs> it's a, it's not... So, maybe you're growing and maturing. Maybe. I hope not. Oh, growing up is the worst. But, so, what did you do before this? 
position? So I've been at the Jewish Federations of North America for 11 years. Before this, I was at the Republican Jewish Coalition, where I was deputy executive director. And so 11 years ago, I became post-partisan and post-ideological in order to uh, (laughs) work with Republicans and Democrats alike. Before that, I practiced law in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, uh, where I uh, did government affairs work, lobbying and and the like. And before that, I worked for the governor of Ohio. I worked uh, in the first Bush administration in Washington, worked uh, on the Hill for Jack Kemp, who was a congressman from New York. I remember Jack Kemp. Oh, very good. I wonder how many I'm, I'm a political junkie, so. Excellent. Well, I wonder how many of your millennial crowd who listen remember Jack Kemp. Very Jack Kemp, Jack very Kemp few. was the, the first uh, compassionate conservative. He was a pro football uh, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills and uh, was elected to Congress in the early 1970s from Buffalo and uh, was someone who really uh, was a Republican, but a Republican with a heart. That's a good thing to be. Yes, <laughs> The heart. So let me ask, this is a general question, because saying your life has been spent mostly in politics, how do you, or maybe you're not, how do you stay optimistic about the ability to, ch- to change things? What makes you think I'm an optimist? I, <laughs> I mean, maybe I, 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 yeah, I guess if, if you weren't, you would do something else maybe? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, a, maybe it's not an optimism versus pessimism sort of thing. Like Sisyphus, I'm just up there pushing, yeah, maybe. pushing the, the boulder. Yeah. Uh, I am an optimist, uh, so I'm glad you picked up on that. I think that, that in a democracy, we have not only the right, but the obligation to try to uh, improve the world uh, as Jews uh, were commanded uh, to repair the world. And I think we need to try. And even when uh, the Washington political scene and the political scene generally as seen on your Facebook page and mine, is in paralysis and no one seems to want to talk to each other, uh, we have to try and we have to do what we can to move the ball forward, to push the boulder up the, up the hill and hope that this time we will be successful. And we do have some victories along the way, so it's not all stasis. That's but. true. I mean, it's hard to, I've, I've, just, I've discovered, it's hard to sort of find a way of reading about the political news that has sort of the optimistic spin to it because it's always being framed in the fact that it's in paralysis and nothing can get done. And then every once in a while you read a story about how something does get done. You're like, yeah, that's great, but you right. you can't sort of you can't follow that story. That story just appears and then disappears. And well, the Boston Globe doesn't sell newspapers by with headlines like uh, "Politicians Agree to Work Together." That's true. Harmony reigns yeah. in uh, in the state house or in, in Washington. Uh, it is it is a problem, and it's a, a problem, I think, in large part now because of the news cycle. When I was growing up, long before the two of you were growing up. Uh, they were basically uh, two news cycles. There was the evening news, uh, the Walter Cronkite uh, cycle, and where you had to get stuff done by 3 or 4 in the afternoon to get it in the evening news. And then there was the morning newspaper deadline where you had to get stuff done by midnight or so. And those were the two cycles, and that's what people, newsmakers, were geared towards. Uh, we're now in a, a situation where just in the 10 minutes we've been on the air, there have been 100 news cycles, and not just... Walter Cronkite and, uh, and the Boston Globe reporter as your uh, reporters, but anybody uh, with a cell phone, anybody with an iPhone, anybody with a droid is a, is a reporter, is making news, and you have this cycle that develops where newsmakers feel like they need to do something outrageous and pushing the envelope in order to get into the next set of uh, headlines on the Drudge Report or the next set of uh, tweets that go out. And so it creates the cycle of of folks not being incentivized to make things work and to work together and to build consensus. And it's it's definitely problematic, and it 
is getting worse, not better. Right. How in this age of social media, like you mentioned, Twitter and Facebook and this constant news cycle, there's there's no deadline anymore. It just continues to go. How do people like myself who are fearful of engaging in these conversations, how do you start broaching that? Like, how do you go into a conversation and try and learn and see the optimism in politics and see like the positive things that can come out of this when you're just so inundated all the time? Like, do you have any? Yeah, I would be, uh, I would try to focus, focus uh, on specific issues that uh, are of interest to you and are of concern to you and not try to get lost uh, in the clouds at 10,000 feet about the dysfunction that's happening uh, in our political system, but to look at issues that are important to you, whether it's uh, the U.S.'s relationship or the environment or uh, helping uh, vulnerable populations through uh, Medicaid uh, or the like, or disabilities work, to look at taking bite-sized chunks out of these seemingly intractable problems of our society and finding ways to push forward and to be supportive of good stuff happening. Because mm-hmm. there is good stuff happening right. in, in all of those realms. It's just it's on the micro level, not the macro level. Mm-hmm. And you have to find those easily digestible pieces to kind of mm-hmm. break your way through the political For sure. And, and to some happening. extent, the 140-character world we live in makes it a little bit easier to have the bite-sized chunks mm-hmm. because policymakers need to take these 50,000-page bills and fit them into a tweet. And that makes it easier for folks to get kind of the general idea of For the what's average happening. citizen. <laughs> exactly. I mean, our, our listeners should know, if they don't already know, that you were listed as the most influential person on Jewish Twitter by the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, which I'm glad is still around, by the way. Like, go GTA. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of JTA, the, yes. the global voice of the Jewish people. Yes. I mean, I think the best part is... Supported n- n- in part by CJP. Mm-hmm. CJP plug. <laughs> Combined Jewish philanthropies, remember? No, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, we preference what yes. what it is. So yes, we're good. I, I think I, I imagine the most enjoyable part of this was that you beat Bibi Netanyahu as the most influential person on Jewish Twitter. I mean, I, not, I doubt that he tweets that much or that he's doing any of the tweets himself. I don't think he's in a Donald Trump situation where he does his own tweets for him. But that's gotta feel good, right? That uh, Bibi Netanyahu is not Donald Trump. No, that <laughs> um, that you that you beat him in ah. a. Well, it was a fair fight. Uh, the prime minister does uh, have a Twitter account uh, at Netanyahu, and you didn't. I don't think you plugged me at Daroff. Uh, at Daroff, sorry. At D A R O F F. There are a lot of egg icons if you search William Daroff on Twitter, as I tried last night. There's a lot of fake accounts yeah. for you. Are there? Yeah, yeah. I, I, that means you've made it. I don't know if they're it. fake accounts if for you. If people are making fake accounts for you, no, you've Twitter made eggs. it. Well, I've got so. a nice little uh, blue check mark yes. next to my name, as there does Prime Minister Netanyahu. <laughs> I, was, I was glad he got verified. We were, we were. That. But he is number two. That's true. So that's understandable. I, uh, it's a little silly. Um, it's a little silly that the prime minister of Israel is the second most influential person on Jewish Twitter. Um, but I will um, take it from JTA. I have talked to the prime minister about it, and he sort of stuck his finger uh, at me and congratulated me when, when it came up. But uh, it's, uh, it's a small Jewish world and happy to have as many people engaged in Twitter as we can across the board. Even Barry Schrag the CEO of Combined Jewish Philanthropies is on Twitter, and he should be followed at Barry Schrag. Yes. True. Uh, you can also follow Jewish Boston and at Jewish Boston. Uh, Jen is not on Twitter. I'm not so. on Twitter. Yet. I'm the worst. I was in college, and you then were. I gave up on Twitter. Are you on Snapchat? Yeah, I'm on Snapchat. <laughs> the official stance of the JewishBoston.com podcast is that Snapchat makes no sense. <laughs> oh, I like Snapchat. I, I I, I, I feel like it is just a fancy 
you know, you can get messaging news program that from Snapchat now. You can yeah. get news. Um, I guess I was already sort of ingrained on Instagram, and so when Instagram stole Snapchat story things, I just sort of stayed there. So also I've uh, to each his own. Yeah, I, you you know what? I still like Google Plus. I'm the only one. So. No. You are literally the literally only one. The only still, one. <laughs> I don't even know if it's still around. Is oh, it's oh, it's still around. Google. It's a great news aggregator, by the way. Google so. minus. Ooh. <laughs> the best thing about Snapchat for me is that I now have a dozen or so interactions with my 15-year-old daughter that I did not have before. That's the literally best. Literally every day. And Aww. so I see pictures of her smiling, frowning, pointing in the middle of the day in chemistry class or, or wherever. But you shouldn't be using her cell phone. <laughs> well, they, they use it as a calculator or something. Oh, yeah. okay. Sure. Exactly. That's what we used to use ours for. Right. Yeah. The abacus. Yeah. Um, the TI-83. So I like, uh, I like Snapchat. I think it's fun. I do too. It's very ephemeral. Well, I guess that's one of my problems with social media in general is the ephemeral nature of it because – Especially with Twitter, I feel like if I don't check in multiple times a day, I feel like I've missed large chunks of things. I don't like feeling like I've missed something when I haven't actually missed anything. I do not feel that way about Twitter. I feel like Twitter, we're only responsible for what we see, as distinct from Facebook, where if you miss that somebody's cat died or that they had a birthday or their tonsils removed, you're sort of in trouble. So I think with Facebook, there's more responsibility of knowing about major things happening in people's lives. I think with Twitter... I don't feel responsible to check back through someone's timeline to see what they were tweeting six hours ago or six minutes ago. I think that's part of the instantness of it. And as distinct from Snapchat, it's still there if I wanted to go back. Yeah. I mean, I will say Twitter Twitter is great for live events. I mean, I've, I've had the most fun on Twitter, usually during presidential debates, like watching binders full of women happen in real time. Within like 30 seconds, a binders full of women Twitter handle was on there and tweeting. I was like... Like it was, it was just so impressive because you like that that that's like you're having a very large conversation with a large group of people. Facebook Sometimes I'll use like other people's Twitter accounts just to like read mm-hmm. the those kind of like major life events. So you are on Twitter? No. Oh, you look at other people. I look at other people's. I like so use say, somebody else's account. You say, "Excuse me, Danny, can I can stalk, I borrow your account? Can I stalk this person to see what Kanye is tweeting?" Really important things. I you, Taylor Swift, Kanye, Justin. Justin Bieber or Justin Timberlake? Ooh. Mm. Are, are you a believer? I'm not a believer. Well, I'm sort of a believer. You know, Justin Bieber has a Hebrew <laughs> language tattoo on his body. Yes. So on is, on is his it, ribs? Is it one of those that's, that has the wrong word on it? It says Yeshua. Uh, he and his father both had them matching when they were in Israel. Good for him. Thank you. Now that we've mentioned Justin Bieber, I'm sure you're... you're Oh yeah, well, skyrocket. Yeah, I know. I was just I was just thinking of the multiple levels of weirdness. It is that Justin Bieber is getting a tattoo in Israel with Hebrew letters on them. There's just a lot of layers there. A lot of layers. A lot of layers. And Justin Timberlake. I love Justin Timberlake. Who doesn't love Justin Timberlake? Going back to the beginning. Oh yeah, I've loved him since I was in elementary school. I'm a post Frosted Tips Justin Timberlake fan. So (laughs) that concert was one of the best concerts of my life. I, I, I could, fangirled so hard. I could not run away from Insane and Backstreet Boys fast enough at the time, but I was that was like in my you know end of high school most cynical stage that boys go ner- <laughs> nerdy boys go through. So we're listening to Pearl Jam really loudly and other things. So you were you were in town. I, I know you were doing something before you came here, but last night we were at an event where you were talking about how to advocate for Israel on social media, and I still like there were. A couple questions got close to what I wanted to ask, but I'm going to ask you the question I wanted to ask, which was, is it that you have to choose who you want to engage with when an argument comes up? So if you're talking about 
if you're talking about Israel and you're talking about a very hot topic of Israel, say, settlements or whether to call it an occupation, there are going to be people who are going to start screaming at you. But there, are, there are going to be some people who I, yeah, I, I don't know if this actually happens, if they sort of ask an honest, angry question and then you're able to figure out who to talk to or is it just literally about only advocating? That is a complicated question. Um, I wish you would have told me last night so I could have thought about it for the, for the last <laughs> 24 hours. Gotcha questions. Thank you. It's complicated. So the context that came up with, that, with last night was about haters, uh, trolls, people who are out there who are just trying to cause trouble, just trying to be angry. And my, uh, or, and or they're just haters, left-wing haters, right-wing haters uh, across the board, uh, of whom we've seen a great proliferation over the last year or so in social media, generally and on Twitter particularly. My guidance there is to ignore them, uh, to block them, to not engage with them. There have been all sorts of tweets, uh, Nazi tweets, with mostly Jewish journalists that have come out. Uh, and a lot of people retweet them to show how terrible this, uh, this has become. And I don't want to retweet them. I don't want them on my feed. I don't want them. I, I wish I hadn't seen them when I saw them. And I don't want to be part of the, the hate that they, are, that they are. So they I ignore. There are non-haters who have uh, legitimate questions. You know, where, where do you stand on, uh, on this issue or how can you justify that? And I'll look at who the person is, look at their feed to see if they are genuine or if they're just trying to stir things up. Because sometimes someone will ask a nice, polite question, and then the second question, um, they're um, throwing mud and blood at you. And so I try to avoid them. I also look and see sort of who the person is, if it's a reporter. Uh, I might have a different response than if it's someone who has an, an eggshell uh, as their identity. So I, I go through sort of a process of assessing whether this is a real conversation, whether it's legitimate. And then also, if there's a point I can make, not necessarily for the person who asked the question, but one where I can use their query as a hook to make a broader point. So if someone, like uh, during the Goldstone Report uh, controversy, where... There was this report that came out that said that the Israelis uh, acted improperly during one of the Gaza conflicts. It was a very controversial report that has since been in large part rescinded. If someone asked me about the Goldstone report when that was topical, I might use it as a hook to uh, condemn the report or to link to um, their rescinding, the Justice uh, Goldstone's rescission of the report, or to other things as a hook to, to have a larger conversation with uh, my followers. But mostly uh, I ignore them just because mostly folks are not interested in, in my experience, the people who are, who are hassling and giving a hard time are there to hassle and give hard times and to score cheap political points. And not necessarily engage in like conversation to move a topic forward. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah but there, there are, though, uh, yeah, there, there are people with whom I disagree who are legitimate uh, actors and players in public policy circles, and I will have discourse with them, think tankers and, and others who... Uh, where we can talk uh, and try to talk. It's the, the limitation of the medium, 140 characters, makes it difficult to really get too deep, uh, although we certainly try. Right. And you can definitely take those conversations, like if they need to be more engaged. I guess taking it offline doesn't really help the rest of the world in terms of followers, but if that individual truly is. 
looking for more. Sure. No, I've had a situation where a reporter asked me a question and I said, can I call you? Right. And had the conversation maybe in a more nuanced way mm -hmm. uh, than I would. Or where it's just so complicated that it would take seven tweets to make the point and... At that yeah. point, you lose something. In exactly. It. You, you haven't started the writing it down in the Apple Notes program and then taking a screenshot of that and then tweeting that. Oh, I yeah, see I, people do that. I have seen people do that too. I'm like, th that's clever. I also like the numbering of the multiple tweets. I'm like, people have figured out a way to. I want to know how they know they're going to have seven tweets when they start. I'm, I'm maybe they put it into Word and do like a All word right. count thing. I don't know. That's that's way too complicated yeah. for me. I like the the photo thing is a good point, although it's not quite as retweetable. I think maybe, maybe. So I have a question. Um, has there been a moment, like an incident, that just made you want to sort of quit whatever <laughs> social media thing you were using at the time? Like for me, the Chick-fil-A scandal, if anyone remembers this, where <laughs> the, the, the owners of Chick-fil-A are very religious. They're closed on Sundays. Uh, they came out very much against uh, gay marriage. And it became a thing where going to Chick-fil-A now became a political statement. And I'm, I'm from Oklahoma. I have a lot of friends who are conservative and like Chick-fil-A. And it became this whole thing. And I had to... It was the first time I finally started blocking people, and the first time I was like, you know what, I don't care. I don't want to engage with this person I went to high school with, who I haven't spoken to in 15 years. I don't care what they think about this, and I shouldn't be wasting emotional energy on that. I imagine for you, you because you it's involved with your work, you can't really stop engaging on a certain topic, but... I mean, I will... So I, I put up a lot of uh, information that... And I let people make up their own minds about... Uh, whatever they want to, whatever the topic is. So, for instance, uh, there have been some news relatively recently about the, the White House condemning um, settlement activity by the Israeli government. And I put up some articles on Facebook, and my Facebook friends are, as we speak, uh, tearing each other apart uh, about uh, how much Obama loves or doesn't love Israel and about how much Netanyahu loves or doesn't love having a sustainable Jewish future in Israel. Uh, and I, uh, I stay out of it. Um, I let them uh, engage, and I, I find it mostly a, uh, a good way for people to learn and, and deal with each other, although sometimes it gets pretty hostile and awful, and sometimes I will go in and delete someone's comment if I think it's particularly uh, unhealthy and bad. But for the most part, I let them opine. Someone asked me on the uh, uh, on this article about the, the White House condemning Netanyahu, uh, what my reaction to it was. And I said, uh, didn't you notice I used the sad emoji? <laughs> uh, and she said, I saw that, but I wondered if you were sad at what the White House said or sad at how the Israelis mm. acted. And I said, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> just yeah. let them decide. Yeah, let yeah. them figure it out. Good use of emoji, you know, really, like, you know, just make it, make it, let people interpret it as they will. Exactly. So. Well, emojis are there for us. <laughs> True. I. They're our friend in I'm social still, media. Oh yeah, I'm still working on the emojis. So I love I, the emojis. Are you not an emoji fan? I mean, I have I have my own Bitmoji that I like to use, mm -hmm. so it looks like me. Um, I enjoy that because I get to put them in funny costumes. But the emojis themselves, well, because I was an Android user for a long time, and so I was, uh, I was, yeah. I was annoyed at when someone would use an emoji and they're on an Apple device, it would come out weird on my phone. So I just never really used them because neither side could see them very well. Now that I am an Apple user. Sorry, Android. I'm very sorry. You know, I've been using them a little more. So the other side. But they. they so did the Google Plus people know that you've abandoned? I don't. Device? I don't think anyone's watching. Okay. 
You're not that influential. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. I might be on the list of most influential Jews on Google Plus, but uh, no. It's a very limited. No one's, short no one's list. making that list. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Put that on your credentials. Sweet dreams. Yeah, Google Plus. So I, you were talking about this, I believe, last night as well. But sort of the difference between how you engage on Facebook and how you engage on Twitter. Uh, I was wondering if you could elaborate a little more on that because. Obviously, Facebook doesn't have a word limit. It uh, it's sort of always there, and can Facebook's algorithm allows it to be on someone's feed a lot longer than you know on mm-hmm. the sort of the, the Twitter timeline. Good question. I am much more prolific on Twitter. Uh, I tweet. Uh, I don't know what my average is, but I tweet a dozen plus times a day. Uh, on Facebook, I will generally have one, at least one, but maybe two or three posts in a given day. And I, I think that that fits the, the medium better, that uh, f- the, the more you put on Facebook, the less likely the algorithm will highlight it so that people will see it because you're spreading your, you're spreading your, your text, you're spreading your message too thin. I also will be more personal on Facebook, although I try to do personal stuff on Twitter as well. So on Facebook, I'm probably more likely to talk about an amazing vegan meal that I've had. We haven't talked about uh, my veganism. That's true. That's but, true. Um, That's cool. Well, it, there it's, we go. Thank you. It's here now, so. It is. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> um, so uh, Facebook I find was sort of more personal, uh, where people can see more of a dimension of, of who I am. Although on Twitter I try also to to engage with people so that, uh, so that one of my main goals in social media is to demystify Jewish leadership so that we are not seen as being a Sanhedrin uh, above that is untouchable and, uh, and disconnected, but rather that they see that when I'm in Boston or when I'm in Washington or when I'm in Cleveland or, or wherever I am, that I'm engaging with the Jewish community and what I'm doing and who I'm seeing and what my thoughts are about the world and, uh, and the like. And so uh, I find it as a way to really connect with Jews and non-Jews uh, across the world in a way that is, would be unimaginable just really a decade ago, but certainly two decades ago, that, that we could, you know, at this very moment, tweet with a, a Jew in uh, Kuala Lumpur about uh, Rosh Hashanah or Hanukkah or what have you. Do you want to talk about why you're in town other than for the event that we were at last night? Um, or is well, it something you can't talk about? No, I understand that you don't do the podcast with remote guests, so the only way I could do it was to be <laughs> So that's the main reason to be here. We, we, we are, we are, a good reason. We are the Google Plus of podcasts at the moment. But um, so I, I do want to ask you. A, a, a I can I could answer that if you want. Yeah. You want. So yeah. so I'm here uh, in large part uh, with the Israeli consulate in Boston, uh, whom you can follow at Israel at Israel in Boston, uh, and on Facebook uh, as well. Uh, and we're doing a bunch of events. Yesterday we did the event on uh, social media. Uh, this morning, along with the JCRC of Greater Boston, the Jewish Community Relations Council of Greater Boston, we met with members of the Massachusetts legislature to talk about uh, anti-boycott, uh, divestment, and sanctions, BDS legislation. I have a couple meetings here at uh, CJP, and then tonight, uh, meeting with some college students. Tomorrow, uh, meeting with board members of the American Jewish Committee, uh, and then uh, and with the Consul General, and then heading home in time for Shabbat. Wow. A busy, packed couple of days. Indeed, very much But so. all very cool uh, people to be meeting with. I'm glad you made time for us. Yes, thank, thank you so much. Well, uh, we, we, we frame the whole uh, visit yeah. around, <laughs> around this podcast. So question about your veganism. Um, <laughs> thank you for bringing it up. Yes. Um, so veganism, 
Uh, why don't you tell me, but the difference between a, a vegan and a vegetarian is what? Uh, vegans will eat no animal products, whereas vegetarians generally will eat animal byproducts like eggs and cheese and milk. Vegans will not eat anything, for the most part, that comes from a living being. So first question is, do you miss any of those things? Not anymore. I've been a vegan just over five years, and uh, I don't at all. Uh, for the first six months or so, I missed tuna sashimi, which was my uh, <laughs> raw tuna, for those scoring at home, which was my sort of go-to comfort food. And no, I don't at all. I don't miss it at all. I, uh, for health reasons, for moral and ethical reasons, for cash root reasons, it makes being uh, kosher incredibly easy if you don't yeah. have to worry about milk or meat. So no, I don't miss it. And it's a it's a thriving uh, subculture. Yeah. Uh, it is. Israel uh, is the has the highest number of vegans per capita of any country in the world. Really, I did and not know that. Yeah. Well, like cool. I've in, in life, I've just sort of generally sort of veered towards vegetarianism, but not like officially. I just eat a lot less meat than I used to. But I don't think I could ever give up cheese. I love cheese Me too much. Too. Cheese, cheese is, is the best. My you're also from Wisconsin. I don't think you're allowed to give up <laughs> cheese like legally. Well, there's there's amazing non-dairy cheese like cashew cheese and and other cheese that's out there that uh, I don't know for a connoisseur like yourself from Wisconsin. Yeah, you, my, but, I have a cheese drawer in my for, fridge. For the <laughs> rest of us, uh, we can't tell the difference. I mean, since, since they perfect a, a pepper jack vegan cheese, I'm I'm on board. So uh, <laughs> they're getting close, but for a while, like. A couple you know, years ago, I'd had some, and I was just like, mm. "You're on record now. Uh, yes. I might be able to find some yeah. amazing." He's gonna vegan send it to you. <laughs> Hashtag vegan pepper jack. There, there you go. go. Let's get that trending. Five people. <laughs> yeah, maybe your listeners can develop it and send our way. Yeah, you're, gonna, you're gonna end up with barrels of vegan pepper jack. Bring it. That'd I love so pepper funny. jack cheese. I love it. it's my favorite. So, what's your favorite cheese? Oh, I can't. Is ask that? It's like asking your favorite child. Yeah. I really, <laughs> I'm on a Gouda kick right now, which is very random. Mm -hmm. I love, like, the basic cheddars. I love cheese curds. And cheese curds I are love, weird. I just love cheese. And It's like an issue. And is this is not, there's no video of this, right? No. no. So people, people don't see they're wearing a cheese head hat oh, while we're yeah. broadcasting? Surprise. <laughs> I do own a cheese head. I, uh, what's weird is now I'm thinking about having a, like a blue cheese cheeseburger, so now I feel really bad about myself. So, um, <laughs> you know, if it was vegan, you wouldn't have to feel bad about any That's part true. of it. That's true. If, if someone can send me a really burger. good vegan blue cheese burger, that'd be amazing. So, <laughs> All right. but so well, thank you for talking with us. This was great. This was fun. My pleasure. Uh, and you can be found at at Daroff. Yes. Daroff. Yes, at Daroff. And you should also check out uh, the Jewish Federations of North America on social media, at J Federations. And it's been wonderful to be here. And I'm yeah. looking Enjoy forward to coming back. Can I get a, yes. Can yeah. I get a return? Oh, uh, definitely. Yes. Open invite. <laughs> oh, cool. Thank you yes. so much. And it'll, it'll be all about sci-fi related things since we weren't allowed to talk about that here. So, Jen, you didn't want us to talk about Star Trek? No. Sorry, guys. Right. It comes up way too often when Jesse and I meet, Psh, and I, I can't deal. Too often. It can never be too often. <laughs> but I know, Jen, you missed a couple of the last episodes, so maybe the next time she's not oh, around, yeah. I can Because I have in. homework now. Yeah. <laughs> I have homework. Watch all of these episodes so I can God, keep up with the conversation. I'd kill for some Star Trek homework. That'd be amazing. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, thank you again. Thank you. you all enjoyed our fascinating conversation with uh, William Daroff. Uh, and if you a reminder, if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at Daroff. And uh, we'll also put in the episode notes some other people uh, that, that he likes that you should also follow, one of them being his dog. So we hope you enjoyed that. And please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or in 
and or to like us on SoundCloud. You can send us a tweet or a Facebook message. And I want to thank JewishBoston.com, the Young Adult Initiative team of CJP, and of course, Sean Fogel for our amazing music. So whenever you're listening to this, whatever comes next, I hope you enjoy it. Goodbye.